welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. Thanks, but I am grateful for these, this band and this praise team. Can we just say thank you? I know they don't want it, but I'm just so thankful for them. I'm so, I'm so thankful for their hearts and their love for this church, their love for God. It's just always such an encouragement each week. Um, welcome. Happy New Year. I'll give you the bad joke that a few of you heard when you came in. This, you can be thankful. This is, you have perfect church attendance for 2020, so it's all downhill from here. But um, uh, pat yourself on the back, but don't, don't break your arm, but thankful that you're here today. Um, and today, of course, is uh, the start of a new series where we're talking about joy and finding joy in the new year. And I thought that was a more appropriate way to start the year than just a sort of trite, cliche idea of resolutions or something. But to see how joy is something we can find no matter what we go through. And today it's going to be about finding joy in trials, which sounds a bit of an oxymoron or a contradiction. Um, but we'll see that there are ways we can experience the joy of God. And today you're going to hear in sort of in two parts. The first part is really just general biblical teaching about joy and, and finding joy in the law or the ways of the Lord. And then, of course, today is Epiphany Sunday, which is the culmination of the Advent Christmas season on the Christian calendar. So Christmas to the secular world ended on December 25th, but to the Christian world it ends today, where we celebrate uh, the, the Magi coming and they're finding the Christ child. It's the culmination of this whole beautiful story. So this is the 12th or 11th day of Christmas. I don't know. I can't lose count, but I know we're right around there. Um, so you're going to hear about the Magi and how they experienced trials too and how where did they find joy in the midst of their journey. Um, I remember when I worked with a ministry called Carolina Cross Connection. You've probably heard me talk about that before if you've been coming here a while. It's a home repair ministry. And when I was uh, wor- there as a camper, we worked for a lady. We were fixing up her house and she had a, a, a kind of a country shack way out in western North Carolina. It was like past like Murphy. If you've ever been out to Franklin, like you were like way, have you been out there, like toward Tennessee? And she had like an outhouse, like it was that kind of situation, had very little materially, but she was like near like 90 years old and she was so full of joy and life and hard working and she was super cool, like she was out there working with us in the hot sun and, and I, I never forgot her because I thought, how is she so joyful and she seems to have so little? And even when I went to the Dominican Republic once on a medical mission trip and I visited these people, has anyone ever been to the Dominican Republic? Anybody ever been down there? The people are just so full of life and wonderful and and warm and they have less materially than we do but they're just so full of joy and it made me think what what secret do they have how did the apostle Paul have joy in trials like he wrote about in the book of Philippians how did Jesus have joy in the midst of trial Jesus is probably the most joyful person who ever lived how did he feel joy in those moments or later as we hear about the magi the wise men how did they experience joy in trials 
I mean, following Jesus is supposed to be a life of joy, but often it doesn't feel that way. I mean, Christians are supposed to be the most joyful people on the planet, but we don't always feel that way. Well, for one, Christianity is not supposed to be this constant high where we're just emotionally jacked up all the time. That's, that's really called brainwashing, and we're really not in the business of that because life's not like that. We have moments of trial, of discouragement, of sorrow, of tears. So where is joy in the midst of those moments and those trials? Well, one way you start is to choose how you think. A trust that rises above your circumstance. Check out these words from Philippians chapter uh, 4. I'll read off the screen. Paul has this. He says, Not that I am referring to being in need, for I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I have known what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty in any and all circumstance. I have learned the secret of being well-fed and going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in need. What secret is he talking about? How can he know how to be content in all circumstances? And then he would go on to say that famous line, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see it on bumper stickers and t-shirts and things like that. But he's, he's writing from prison. He's writing from a, a Roman prison, probably an open sewer basically, chained to a wall. And uh, when he's saying, I can do all things, what joy is he accessing that would get him into that mindset. See, one is that I think people like him and many Christians throughout history have learned that joy, it's not a destination. It's not a place you get there and then you're good. Joy is more of a determination. See, joy is not a chance. It happens by choice. As Henry Nouwen famously said, we have to choose joy and keep choosing joy every day. It's a matter of where we choose to put our roots. Joy is found in the answer to this question. From where do I draw my strength? What are my allegiances? See, it's hard to find joy in a culture, though, that's so bent on discontent. We're so bent on that. I mean, we just came out of a Christmas season that was built on materialism. It just reached its peak, right? But we're never truly done in America. There's always a new marketing campaign. There's always a new thing that says, well, just get this. Have a better hairline and you'll be more content. Um, we all have thigh masters and shake weights and our addicts you know, collecting dust. If you don't know what a shake weight is, maybe just Google it. Uh, maybe you shouldn't, actually. Um, but or or remember thigh masters from the 80s were doing this business. I mean, how awkward is this? Or the ab roller, right? We had an ab roller. That's a pretty good invention, actually. But we have all these things that we think we're supposed to have, and then we don't use them. Or you have a, a an exercise bike that turns into a nice coat rack later. But have we really learned in this modern age how to find joy? We have so many. Um, secular ideas of modern schools of thought that help us in the physical realm, psychology, sociology, chemistry, technology, all these things make life physically better, and that's good. But they don't offer cosmic and spiritual answers to cosmic and spiritual issues. And joy is one of those. And it's one we need to hear about. Because it is possible to have joy in the midst of trial. The Bible repeatedly calls us to rejoice. The apostles rejoiced in prison, as I said earlier. 
If it's possible, then why do so few people have it? One could be that we seek it wrongly. Regardless of seasons of life, joy is found inside of you. It's God-given, but it also depends on where your roots go. Joy does not consist of what happens to you. Joy is what consists in what you are. Let me explain what I mean. A Christian is someone who's planted, is someone who's planted and rooted in God. Christianity doesn't offer freedom from suffering. Far from it. But the Spirit does provide resources and joy, like the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians. It's something the Spirit births out within us, that God abides with us in trials. A verse in Psalms chapter 1 really illustrates this point about what you're rooted into. Where David, the psalmist, writes these words in Psalm. He says, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. Here's the thing. But their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither. In all they do, they prosper. He's essentially saying the tree is planted near something that makes it almost like an evergreen. And the seasons come, the tree experiences growth, the tree even experiences some form of death. But the seasons persist, but under the surface, the roots, there's a living water that comes up deeper than any pain or suffering. As that song we sang, that new version of Joy to the World, that the joy is rising up within my soul. See, when, when there's a drought, I think this summer we had a pretty good long period of drought, didn't we? It didn't rain for a while. And where do, where, where, what do the roots do when there's drought? They go in search of water. Isn't that amazing? Trees go deeper. The roots go deeper in search of water. I tried to cut up a little sapling one time, and the tap root went down about like eight feet. I had a hard time getting that little tree up. Because when they go, when it gets drier, the tree goes deeper. And it's the same with our lives. When we get into periods of drought and trial, go deeper down into that living water that God offers us through his word, through loving the law of the, of the Lord. We all go through times of dryness, just like a tree. And instead, we can go deeper down into God to draw from his resources. See, the, this definition of joy, it doesn't deny hardship or pain. It, it accepts the reality of it. That's why Christianity, I think, is the truth. Because it accepts things as they are. And in fact, that it shows that joy can exist with anxiety and fear and pain. See, not only do the roots go deeper in times of trial, the roots also get stronger. They provide more anchorage or foundation. The deeper the root, the more the tree can last in a storm. It provides foundation we need. Now, but what is this metaphorical water our roots should be searching for? Well, the, the psalmist said it. It's the law of the Lord. Day and night, meditating, delighting in the law of the Lord. But what does law mean? It doesn't mean the rule section of the Bible. 
in all the, it's, it's just the ways of God. You just love the ways of God. You love the scripture. You love who he is. You just love Jesus for who he is. And you delight in that. No matter what is happening, you still delight in him because he is enough. You love the Lord in season and out of season. Did you know they're making a sequel to Coming to America with Eddie Murphy? They've already filmed it. Aren't you excited about this? <laughs> You've seen Coming to America. It came out in the late 80s, right? Arsenio Hall played the preacher guy. Remember the preacher guy? Arsenio Hall played, and he said, I love the Lord. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Remember that? I love that line. Loving the Lord, that's what you're rooted into. From where you're drawing your strength, where your roots come from. So, are our roots found in the eternal, or are they found in the temporary? Are our roots found in something we could eventually lose? Then joy gets difficult. For too many Americans, our roots are found in what we own or in coveting what we don't own, which becomes a very empty well very quickly, and the roots don't get any sustenance from that. The saints of history did not allow what they didn't have to rob them of their joy. But they celebrated what they did have, which was Christ. And he's always enough. So don't let what you don't have prevent you from reaching your goal, from knowing the joy of God. Whatever season you're in, go down deeper. Now, there's a famous athlete who lived over 100 years ago, so he's maybe not as popular as he used to be, but his name is Jim Thorpe. He was a, a Native American, and he's one of the most gifted athletes that ever lived. In the 1912 Summer Olympics, he was in the now defunct pentathlon, which is five events in one day. I saw why they got rid of it. Five events in one day. And he placed first in four of them, ran the 1500 beat his competition in the 1500 meter dash by five seconds. I mean, that's like destroying the competition in a run like that. The next day, he runs a decathlon in rain, and he runs the 100 meter dash in 11 seconds, a record that was staying until 1948. I mean, this guy was just way ahead of his time. He was so good that someone wanted him to lose the next day, so he stole his track shoes so he couldn't run. His, his coach is scrambling, trying to find track shoes. Show the picture. And so they find these shoes in the garbage can. One is too small. So I think the one on my right is too, is too uh, big, so they put extra socks on his foot so it would fit. The one on the left is too small. He's, then he runs these events in mismatched shoes, trying to throw them off his game. Well, this is what happened. He won the 110-meter hurdles in 15 seconds, which wouldn't be broken until 1948. He didn't allow what he didn't have to stop him from reaching his goal. He still persisted. He, you have to choose joy and keep choosing it day after day. Sometimes it looks like that. Sometimes there is adversity and trial, and you just push through it. The, the wise men, the magi, these first Gentiles that would believe in Christ, they would also have to push through trials. They would have a long journey. They get interrogated by a wicked king. They would even, but when they did find the Messiah, they would experience great joy. This is a lengthy passage, but it shows a lot of beauty about the story of God and about the journey of these magi. In the time of King Herod, there, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? 
For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened. He's a little bit insecure. And all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is a shepherd, my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. So they told him. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may go and pay him homage. He, he wants to kill the baby. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. One thing you can learn about joyful is that joyful people stay the course through trials. Scholars estimate that their, their journey of these men was anywhere from 400 to 800 miles. We don't really know where they came from. It just says from the east. So it would have been southern Arabia or Persia. Uh, it would have taken them at least three weeks uh, on camels or a month by foot. And they had to travel by night, we assume, because they're following a star. So it would have taken them even longer. They didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what they're looking for. But they stayed the course. They didn't give up. They pressed on on this journey that they felt like God had inspired them to take. Secondly, joyful people keep their integrity. They could have lied to the king. They could have avoided him completely, but they didn't. They, they told him the truth. And thankfully, of course, the angel helps guide them in the direction they should go and avoid this, this evil person. But they kept their integrity. And lastly, lastly, joyful people are grateful people. I'm sure they were grateful when they ended their journey. They probably were glad it was over. They were overjoyed. But they made it. But we don't hear any complaining from them. Even Tim Keller says this about complaining and being grateful and how that connects to joy. He said, if Jesus didn't complain when he received a life infinitely worse than he deserved, how can I complain while I experience a life infinitely better than I deserve? As we get older, especially as I get older, I'm learning a lot more that it gets easier to complain. Like I'm walking in rooms lately and I just don't know why I'm standing there anymore, right? Or why was I going to do this? You know, it's like you get older, it's just things get are different. See, young people think that old people have always been old. <laughs> right? It's like when you're a kid, your mom and dad have always been dating. You know? You've always been married. And old people look at young people and think, you have no idea what's getting ready to happen. You think you got it all figured out, and you do not. But getting older situations, circumstance, it can, it can threaten to steal your joy. I've heard it said that getting older is like school in the summertime. All the facilities still work, but the student body is long gone. <laughs> and that could be true as well. My favorite theologian, Charles Barkley, who maybe you've read, <laughs> when he prepared to uh, retire from the NBA, he said, Father Time is undefeated. It's true. Eventually your knees give out. 
One of my friends um, in, in Asheville, he had a great privilege one time of a friend of a friend, got him a lunch with a Dr. Billy Graham about 20 years ago. So Bill, Billy was probably in his late 80s at this point. And he said they went to Red Lobster on Tunnel Road in Asheville. That was one of Dr. Graham's favorite places to eat. And they sat down to have lunch, and he's speaking to... And my friend's a pastor, so he's super excited to get to have lunch with Billy Graham. And he, um, he said... He, so he started peppering Billy with questions. And one, he asked, um, what, what's one of your biggest regrets in your life? This man has preached to more people in the whole world than anyone ever. Over 300 million people. And um, what's one of your biggest regrets? And he said, I, re I wish I'd spent more time with my family. He was on the road a lot, famously, sometimes for months at a time. One time he came home, one of his youngest children didn't even know who he was. He said, I wish I'd, I'd done that. I, I actually regret that. And so he, then he, my friend asked Dr. Graham, uh, what's one of the things you wished you had learned when you were younger? And Dr. Graham said, I wish someone had prepared me on what it was like to get old. Because no one ever talked to me about that. He said, it's been harder than I thought it was going to be. But then he said, but it's still not going to steal my joy. And no matter what will come, it doesn't have to steal our joy. Even when we read the book of James in the New Testament, Jesus' brother writes, James, who did not believe in Jesus for most of Jesus' life, he thought his brother was a lunatic, then turns around one day. I mean, James's conversion itself is proof that something is up to the gospel and that Jesus was real. Because James completely has a 180. And he writes things like this, James 1-2. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Uh, when you go back, go back. Whenever you, whenever you see that verse, you could see like, that just sounds like crazy talk. How could I face trials and then consider it a joy. It's not like it's not like you're a sadist, like you're inviting suffering onto yourself. It's not like you're going to flagellate yourself or something. It's not like that. But he's saying consider a joy when you suffer for the sake of Christ, just like the apostles did. That it's an honor to be associated with his name no matter what may come. Let the roots go deep. Let the roots go deeper and let the joy of the Lord come up. Be allegiant to that and rooted and grounded in that. And then Jesus' words in John 16 are always a comfort where he says, you will have trouble in this world. He acknowledges it. It will happen. But take heart for I have overcome the world. Now someone's going to hear this and you could be going through a serious trial. Or you just got through one. And you're, you're scared about trusting in that kind of promise. Because it sounds a bit too good to be true maybe. That you're a little bit cynical. How I'm wary of believing that joy is possible in this life. Or any sort of consistent level of happiness. Again, it's not a brainwashing. It's not an, an emotional jacked upness. But it's a deep-seated rootedness. That it's, a, it's, it's not a destination. It's a determination. It's not a chance. It's a choice. And Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in Him. Notice it doesn't say, Glance at the Lord and, and maybe see the Lord is good. Hedge your bets and see if He'll get you what you want. It doesn't say that. But someone listening to this today, you really need this. You really need to know what it means to be rooted in Christ 
and rooted in God's joy down deep. And that's a great way to begin a new year. I can't think of a better way to start a new year. And as we go before the table this morning, and we go before the Lord and and remember the sacrifice, that on the night which he gave himself up for us, he took bread at a Passover meal, which is the ultimate invitation to taste and see the Lord is good. He took the Passover meal bread, typically a very Jewish experience, and he's saying, yeah, this bread you're used to, this is my body now. This is my body that is broken for you. And every time you take this meal, do it in remembrance of me. Remember the way I've broken myself for you. I am the new Passover lamb. Do this in remembrance of me. And when he took the cup, this cup that represented the blood of the Passover lamb, the blood that if you put it over your doorpost of your home, the wrath of God would literally pass over your home. Jesus is saying, this cup that you're used to, the blood of the lamb, this is now my blood. The all who drink and take of it will not know the wrath of God, but will know the grace and forgiveness of God. This is my blood of the new covenant. As so often as you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Remember what I've done for you as your new Passover lamb. This has been done. This is the gift of God to us, the people of God. Will you pray with me? Lord God, as we come before your table this morning, we are a grateful people that we get to taste and see, God, that you are good. And I do ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ. And in so doing, Lord, may you make us the body of Christ to the world. That as you have poured out your life for us, that we would do the same for our neighbor. Lord, that in your presence there is fullness of joy. And I pray for all those this morning that are feeling like they're pretty shallow. I pray that they would see, God, that you're calling them to, to go deep. To put their allegiance and trust and hope in you. To not give up in that season of drought. But to know, God, that your resources are there. They're always available. So God, bless this time as we gather in your presence to remember what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. As we um, prepare for this time, you'll come forward and get a piece of bread and place it in your hand. You can dip it in the juice. You're welcome to pray the prayer rails. We'd love for you to do that. Myself and others will be in the back of the room to pray with you. If you want prayer or laying of hands, we'd love to to offer that as well. Uh, We also have gluten-free bread if if you're in need of that um, too. And so, as we come to the table, all are welcome at the United Methodist Church communion table. All who earnestly repent of their sin and want to follow Christ are welcome to come to the Lord's table. So I'm going to invite the praise team on up. And uh, those are helping serve communion this morning. Keith, the body of Christ broken for you.